0: Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible believing, grace driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit RavenswoodBaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians 4. And uh, when you came in, you also received an outline that might be a help to you, and it might be an encouragement uh, in, the, in the time together today. Today we conclude uh, six months, about six months, in the book of Philippians. This is the 25th message. Uh, we have, boy, if you go back and, and without reading through Philippians 1, we would tend to forget what we heard six months ago. And I would encourage you, by the way, this week. I would encourage you, maybe consider going back through this this letter and rereading it. It's four brief chapters. It's full of great truth, full of powerful reminders to us. And so, in this study if of the Word of God and of the message that Paul writes here, I hope that you've been your faith has been encouraged, your walk with Jesus has been encouraged. I trust that you have been reminded of the the daily joy, and the daily call that we have as Christians to experience Jesus. To experience Jesus. Look with me at verses 20 to 23 this morning, and I want to ask you, if you will, just to follow along with me uh, as I read these verses. And they seem so, what are we going to do with this, right? Uh, What do we see in these closing verses that are for our admonition? Look at verse number 20, and this is God's word. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Today we're going to look at the final encouragement from the apostle. The final encouragement that if we read it, we just kind of go over it. We kind of, we don't really know what does this have to do with me. Well, I assure you because it's scripture and it's inside the word of God and it's been inspired by God that there's some benefit and there is some edification for us. And so I want to just briefly this morning, I want to retrace the steps of where we've been. I'm not going to cover everything, but I want us to remind ourselves of the context of the book of Philippians. I want to remind us today that Paul is writing this from Roman house prison. He's awaiting his trial before Caesar, the great ruler, historical ruler of the Roman empire. He's permitted in this house prison, he's permitted visits from friends. The church at Philippi has sent a a man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has come to visit Paul in Rome. He's brought him some provisions. He's brought some, not just some physical provisions, but some provision of encouragement to his spirit. The resources from this church at Philippi are, they're a great encouragement to Paul. He hears from Epaphroditus that some of the news on how the church is doing, Epaphroditus hears from Paul on how Paul is doing, Epaphroditus shares with Paul some of the struggles that this church is facing, the persecution, the hardship, the contention inside the church. Epaphroditus tells Paul that this church, they need to hear from him, they need some kind of an update, they need some encouragement because their days have been difficult, their days have been hard. It's it's a reminder to us, I think, that experiencing Jesus doesn't mean life gets better. Experiencing Jesus doesn't mean that all of our problems go away. The Christian gospel says nothing about eliminating our earthly problems. So these Christians are evidence or manifest evidence to us of Christians who have tension, Christians who have conflict, Christians who are facing struggles, they're facing persecution, poverty. But Paul writes to them to remind them that in experiencing Jesus there is great strength there is peace there is unity there is joy there is confidence in God and that God through their problems is endeavoring to grow them more and more into the image of Jesus Christ you see the christian doesn't see his problems as 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 bumps in the road the christian sees his problems his his, his situations as a way in which God, through the work of the gospel in his life, is being molded and shaped into the image of Jesus. We have, if you will, a, a redemptive view of our problems. That God uses our problems for his glory. And Paul is writing to encourage them in this. Experiencing Jesus, that's been the theme of our study. This is what Paul has been reassuring them of in their lives, that all that Paul has gone through and all that they are going through is God growing, equipping, and his sanctifying work through the person of Jesus for their good and the glory of God. Now, when you and I experience the life of Christ in us, we are experiencing that life that has been made in us, that has been That part of us that has been made alive through the Holy Spirit. We, you and I, experience, just like the church at Philippi, Christ's union with other believers. We experience the mind of Christ. We experience, through Jesus, His love through the body life of the church. We experience His power through the purity of the gospel. And you and I have the availability in our life, as we experience Jesus, we have the availability of His peace and His strength. And so I want to remind you of a a key point that merges all of this into one succinct thought, and that is this. If your greatest need and my greatest need before salvation was for the wrath of God to be satisfied by Jesus then your greatest need today and my greatest need today and every other day is to experience the new life that we have received through the grace and the mercy of Christ. That God's goal, if you will, in our life is that every moment of every day that you and I experience the new life in Jesus that we've received through His grace and His mercy and that new life... It fleshes out into rejoicing when we can't rejoice. It comes out in peace that is a peace that is beyond anybody's understanding. It comes out in, in how we even, as we saw last week, how we view our money and how we view our church relationships and how we view our, our approach to this world and the conflicts out there. See, the Christian doesn't just come in church and experience new life of the gospel. The Christian has the enabling in their life to experience the life of Jesus in them every day. That's good news, guys. That's good news. So Paul's letter is to a hurting people telling them that life in Jesus is available today. Grace and mercy is available today. And God in the gospel wants us to experience that. So as Paul concludes this letter to this beloved church, he actually speaks. He speaks from a place of how experiencing Jesus has changed him. See, these verses right here, actually in Paul's simple goodbye, Tell us what we need to understand about how Jesus has changed Paul. And how as you and I experience the life-changing good news of Christ daily in our life, what our life will begin to look like in accordance with the Word of God. And so in his concluding remarks, he doesn't just say, hey guys, see you later. Hey, sincerely with love he says some very important statements to them that as we read them, they are to be convicting. And as the Philippian Christians read them, surely they were convicting to them as well. See, the encouragement is seen in Paul's example here. Why does he say these words? And as I mentioned, he says this because this is the experience Of of the apostle who once murdered Christians and persecuted Christians who now is encouraging Christians who are being persecuted to walk faithfully in the gospel and so he gives them what I would call you four pictures of Paul four pictures and and we're going to move very briefly and quickly through them so track with me the first one that I want you to see is in verse number 20 I want you to see that as Paul has experienced Jesus Paul has a new pursuit has a new pursuit It's a new pursuit for an apostle who's experienced Jesus. And here's the pursuit. It's God's glory. It is God's glory. That's his pursuit. Notice in verse number 20, Now unto God and our Father. So he speaks specifically about God individually there, as we'll see in a moment. And then what he does is he he says to them, This God that I'm speaking of, He is our Father. That's an important biblical doctrine that I'm not going to stay on long today. But for the Christian, God is your Father. Notice in verse, notice what he continues. He says, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. As Paul concludes this letter about. The Christian life and the experience of Jesus in the life of the Christian and the Christian's experience of joy and the Christian's experience of peace and the Christian's experience of unity and striving together for the gospel. As Paul begins to land the plane on this letter, Paul says to them, All of this, all of this is for the glory of God forever and ever. In case you missed the first ever, it reminds me a little bit of Paul saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, in case you missed the first one, rejoice. So this glory that Paul's pursuit is, is as he has experienced Jesus, his longing, his pursuit is for the glory of God alone. It also points us back to last week's verse, in verse number 19 as we saw. But my God shall supply all your need, all your need all your need, not from his riches. He didn't take from his riches. He gives an abundance of his riches according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So Paul speaks there, and he says, boy, God's going to supply. God will supply your need. God will supply from all that he has, and because God will, unto him be glory forever. This is a, uh, this verse right here, and, and these, these remarks are what we would call a doxology. There's a song in our hymnal that's often called the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is a doxology. Doxology comes from a word, uh, doxa, which means glory, and loggy, L-O-G-Y, means a way of speaking. And so if you will, what Paul is doing here, Paul is giving us some glory speaking. He's speaking of glory that belongs to God. It is is the heart of the Christian who understands that they have only been saved by the grace of God, that they're only kept, as we sang a moment ago, by the grace and the mercy of God, that they have received through Christ Jesus the peace of God. And so this Christian has nothing else to say other than may God God receive glory. I don't ask you. Has your experience of Jesus caused you to Be a doxological Christian who does nothing but speak of the glory and the honor and the worth of God in all things. In all things. What Paul is giving praise for here is God's faithfulness to believers. And although that seems to be materially driven, it's not about what was given or what came through them to Paul. It is Paul rejoicing in the very character of God. Now stay with me. We tend to be glory speakers when we get from God what we've been waiting to get from God. We tend to express gratitude to God when God meets that need. But the Christian, the Christian Living backwards and looking backwards understands that Jesus meets their greatest need so their entire life is now able, like Paul's, it is now now enabled by the goodness of the gospel that if God does not give you what you need tomorrow, he's already given you everything you need in salvation and so you are now enabled to be a glory speaker. Are you with me? So the Christian's drumbeat of their life is the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. God be glorified, God be glorified, God be glorified. And all I say and all I do, that God will be glorified and it would be a glory that is similar to the glory he will receive forever and ever. See, Paul wants these Christians to not say, may Paul be glorified. Well, Paul's letter, boy, that changed my life, boy, that helped me out. Paul says, no glory to me, all glory to God. All glory to God. And in our day of back patting and chest bumping and high-fiving and celebrations, we as people must grasp the, the root of the gospel which causes us to only give God glory forever and ever. And he says, in case you don't think I'm serious, I'm going to give you a hearty amen at the end of that one. Right? Now, all glory to God. Amen. Paul said, you ain't going to amen me. I'm going to amen myself. I like what I wrote. But Paul giving glory to the very character of God. It's a good reminder in your outline there of of Romans 16, 25. Now, to him that is of power to establish you according to, to my gospel and the preaching of Christ Jesus according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest in by the scriptures to, of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting god made known to all nations for the obedience of faith to god only wise be glory through jesus christ forever amen see the heart of the gospel is the glory of god The heart of the gospel is the glory of God. For which no Christian can give himself glory for salvation. For which no Christian can give himself or his religious activity glory for meriting anything with God. And so the Christian's fundamental conclusion to salvation is to God be the glory, great things he had done. So we glorify God through the praise of the glory of Jesus. Who then turns all glory back to the Father. Galatians chapter one reminds us who, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Paul connects the glory of God immediately and the glory deserving to the Father for our salvation. First Timothy one. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever, Amen. Paul is sure to say all of what the Christian life is, it's all a grand song of doxology. Your Christian walk, stay with me now, your Christian life from beginning to end is a song of praise to Jesus. That's it. Christians often ask, why do we, why do we sing? Why do we sing so much? If you come back tonight, we sing and we sing a lot. Why? Why? Because a song is a verbalization of what we believe by song. A declaration of what we believe and know and have seen in God. And so when a church like ours gathers in corporate worship, when we lift our voice, even when you go, boy, I don't like to sing. And we lift our voice anyway. It says, no glory to me, all glory to God. That is our life. It is one Song of doxology. But then I want you to see, and by the way, this is a posture of evidence of experiencing Jesus. When you experience Christ, Christ becomes your focus. And God's glory becomes your pursuit. Now, I don't have time to unpack that. But in our day, that is a lost reality amongst Christians. Christ is your focus, and God's glory is your pursuit. Second thing Paul does here is he gives us a picture in verse 21 into Paul's people. Paul's people were God's people. Paul's people are God's people. Notice in verse 21, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Three times there, Paul speaks about saints or brethren. Saints or brothers and sisters. Saints in the family of God. Like all of this, Paul says three times, Salute every saint. The brethren which are with me greet you. And all the saints salute you. What Paul is doing there is he is reminding them at the end of this story, or at the end of this passage, the end of this book, that really deals with with how Jesus transforms Christians and Christians experience that in the church. Paul is sure to say let me tell you who my people are my people are God's people. Now I like that because in our day of groups and cliques and crews and this group of people and this this you know segment of culture and this the Christian who has experienced Jesus and is experiencing Jesus Throughout his life, the changing work of God in his life every day, that Christian is not just endeared to Jesus in his glory, but the Christian, like Paul, is endeared to God's people. So the Christian says, you want to know who my people are? My people are God's people. Because those are the people who have experienced Jesus like I've experienced Jesus. And those are the people who are experiencing Jesus now like I'm experiencing now. And so Paul says, I want to make sure that at this letter, I I salute the Christians. I salute the saints. And by the way, the brethren that are with me, they're thinking about you as well. He's talking about something that is so foreign, if you will, in the American church that we would actually be connected and passionate About God's people. That we would see ourselves walking into the body and being a part of the body. And this is not a new thing in Philippians. This is a regular, a regular foundational truth that you and I are to experience gospel change and gospel life in the body of Christ. So Paul reminds them. But there's a word there that I want to really point out today, and that's that word every. He says, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. This is the individualizing of the group that signifies that in the eyes of Paul, every saint matters to God. It's the signifying that we're not just going salute All the people that are in Christ, Paul is saying, no, 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 I want to make sure that every person in that church knows that every person matters and is on my heart and mind." I would argue that this is reflective of the Lord Jesus, who gives us a picture of His good shepherding work because of His willingness to leave the ninety and nine and to go after the one. It's a reminder to everybody who is here this morning that you matter here but more importantly you matter to God. And Paul is just echoing the heart of a Christian who understands that his people are God's people. And, and it's in if you if you allow yourself to think in the familial context in the familial context of a parent with multiple children saying I don't love you more than your other sibling. I love you both incredibly. It's again the picture that Paul has of the church that every saint is to be concerned and love and care for every saint. That's an important note to make. Because in a church like ours, we all know different people. We don't know everybody. and We don't even really know that we have met everybody, but in the church, to only segment ourselves to our people or our group is to neglect the importance of every saint in the body. I think it's also important to note that in the body of Christ, there is an equality of saints. There's an equality of saints. What do I mean by that? There is no class or rank in the body of Christ. There is no hierarchy in this church, necessarily so, of the people who are more important to God and the people who are less important to God. There is none of that. Paul's, Paul does not say, say hi to the pastor, say hi to the deacons, forget everybody else. I mean, Don't even greet those people. Well, forget about the children, I mean... I don't even care about the children. I'm just you know what matters is the people of power. The people in authority. That's not what Paul says here. And I want to make sure it's clear from this mouth from this place to going outward to this church. This pastor is not more important in this place than any member. Amen. You're quiet on that one. I'm going to be like Paul, amen myself. This pastor is not in a greater spiritual place or in greater spiritual connection with God than every member has available to themselves. My calling is is is, is set apart. My, my office as a pastor is one that is worthy of honor, but that does not say that I am above everybody. I stand up here because God's word is above us all. But I don't stand up here as the person of authority. I've said it hundreds and hundreds of times. I am not the man here. I point you to the man. And so I come down and say, I'm just like you. I came to Jesus through the same shed blood as you did. I came to Jesus through the same grace that you did. Here's the great thing about it. We all matter here. We all matter. Paul says, salute every saint. And so the body of Christ has a bond of love without classes or ranks. But you know what's interesting? You know what I love about this? Most likely at Rome, other parts of the New Testament seem to give us some people. Do you know who's at Rome? We got some New Testament authors at Rome. We got some people that were movers and shakers in the early church at Rome. I mean, at Rome, we got people like Timothy. We got people like Luke. We've got Epaphroditus from Philippi. We got Tychicus. We got Philemon. We got Aristarchus. We got Onesimus. We got John Mark. I mean, we got people that in the New Testament, these were people that they were were making a dent for the gospel. But Paul does not elevate them over the believer that is sitting in Philippi who nobody knows about. So let me remind you. Everybody hear this. If you think that your place in this body and this church and in this family is insignificant, you're missing the beauty of the loving grace of Jesus that says we are all significant because of our union with Jesus. All of us. And by the way, it it also means at the same time that we must be careful as a church of placing our own wants over the good of the body. Our own wants. Number three. I gotta hurry here. Number three, Paul's purpose is God's mission. It's God's mission. This might be my favorite part because Paul does something here that's really unique. As he continues it, in verse 22 he says, all the saints salute you. Chiefly, chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. Stop there for a moment. What? Paul, Paul says to these Christians, he says, the brothers and sisters, the, the Timothys and the Lukes and the Philemons and the Onesimus's and the John Marks, they all salute you. But the main people I want you to know that salute you are the ones in Caesar's household. These saints. These saints that are in Caesar's household. Now, let's make sure that we grasp what's gone on. Two things. And I'm not going to stay here very long. The two things that we need to understand either A, these were Christians that were there before Paul got there. These are Christians that are not just—they're not just Christians in Rome. They're serving in Caesar's household. And if you ever studied from a historical perspective, it was not easy to get close to somebody like Caesar. It was not easy to be the one cooking food and giving drink and providing for Caesar and his family and his children and, and all those. This is a place of incredibly powerful influence you have access to feed poison or to give poison to kill there is incredible access and paul says there are christians in this place now important that we note that they might have been there before paul while at the same time philippians chapter 1 tells us that paul is that paul is witnessing in his bonds he is sharing the gospel in his prison situation so paul pauls telling them as well Boy, we've been doing ministry here. While I'm in prison, we have been sharing the gospel with the guards that are being paid to watch. And those guards are taking it into Caesar's house. And people in Caesar's house are getting saved. There are Christians. And here's the point of this. Because remember, Caesar was not a Christian. Caesar demanded you worship Caesar. The Christians in Caesar's house said, we won't worship Caesar. And Caesar, guess what? You can't even stop the gospel. In fact, you can't even stop it. It's creeping into your house. Paul's reminder to them is to be committed to the mission of God. Because my job, hear me, my job is not to see people of influence and authority and of celebrity status come to Jesus. My job is to not, make sure, is to not necessarily see these people say, my job is wherever God puts me, I am to be a witness of the saving work of Jesus. That's my job. It is God's job to bring people into Caesar's house. Do you know what it's God's job? To bring Christians into positions of authority in the government. It is God's job to bring in people who are going to be gospel-minded in leadership and in rulership in our day or in high positions of authority. It is our job to just be good to tell the news of Jesus. Paul's purpose? the mission of God, even in prison, even in prison, because the gospel will not be stopped. Lastly, is Paul's prayer. Here's his prayer. He says, it is. he prays his prayers for God's grace. He said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We've come full circle from the beginning of the letter where Paul says in Philippians 1-2, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. This, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, is a very typical Apostle Paul closing. Because hear me very carefully, no matter where you are today, no matter what situation you're going through, no matter how deep the water is, or how easy you're navigating the problems and circumstances of life, your greatest need is the grace of God. It's the sustaining, strengthening, enabling grace of God. And Paul says, my prayer for you is that God's grace may be evident in your life. My prayer for you is that the grace of the Lord Jesus will be with you all. Remember, remember, They're hurting hurting Christians. They're struggling, persecuted Christians. And Paul says, Your greatest need is not for persecution to stop. Your greatest need is not for difficulty to stop. Your greatest need is God's grace being with you. I want to ask you a simple question How often do you pray for grace? How often do you pray for grace? Sustaining grace that allows you to walk through difficult situations. Sustaining grace that enables you to not be high and mighty when things are going well. Pray for grace. Can I encourage you what Paul doesn't do? He says, I I pray for you that all the problems will stop. He doesn't say that. See, God's plan for you and I is not for our life. I said at the beginning, I'll say it again, is not for our life to become easier. God desires our full dependence on Him. And so today, maybe your prayer just needs to be, God, I'm not asking you to stop the problems. I'm asking for grace. Because it is in your problems, like Paul, that you witness and the gospel spreads. It is not only in your problems that you preach the gospel but is in your problems that you understand and you enjoy the fellowship of God's people. And then you also understand your pursuit and your desire for God to get glory. Even in my prison place, may God be glorified forever. You receive glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. May all of that, and it leads to this. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. This epistle is all about Jesus. He's mentioned over 40 times. These Christians, like all of us, are in desperate need of God's sustaining grace. Pray for grace. Pray for grace for others. So these questions in application and conclusion, is my life marked by the pursuing of the glory of God in all I do? Do I pursue the glory of God in all I do? Go to work tomorrow pursuing the glory of God. Not the glory of you, not the exaltation of you, but the glory of God. Are my people, number two, are my people God's people? How does that show out in my life? What are you doing right now, practically speaking, that that shows that the people that God has brought you to worship with today are your people? They're your people. You care about them. You're involved in their life. Number three, has my experiencing Jesus compelled me to join God's mission? to help others to experience Jesus as well. Here's the most important question I'll ask you, though. The most important question. Hold your place and just stay with me for a moment. Is this. Have you experienced the saving news of Jesus in your life? Have you experienced salvation that is only available through Christ? Because you don't get to experience any of that down there that we talked about today without first coming to the place where you recognize that you need a Savior. See, the first way that we experience Christ is that we experience Him. We understand and recognize that we, all of us, are sinners. There's not a thing that we can do in this life and in this church or in in religious activity that can absolve us of our sinfulness. I can't do it. This church can't do it. A baptistry can't do it. Only Jesus can do it. And I'm a sinner. And so because I'm a sinner, I recognize that God is, has every right as God to punish my sinfulness. But, in, but Jesus came. The Son of God comes and He dies In my place, as a substitute in my place, where I should have died, Jesus dies. And He dies on a cross, not that one, but a cross similar to that. And on the cross, Jesus takes all of my sin and your sin on Him. And Jesus now becomes my substitute. So in my place He dies, so that I no longer have to be under the condemning wrath of God. You say, what do I got to do? Simple. You do nothing. You do nothing yet but respond in faith to the gospel. Respond in faith believing that Jesus died in your place and that you couldn't save yourself and you're going to stop trying to save yourself and you're going to stop asking a church to save you or a baptistry to save you or your good works to save you but only Jesus can save you. And in that moment of faith, here's the assurance. For whosoever, Romans chapter 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you've not experienced the saving work of Christ in your life, it's available to you. It's available to you. And we long for you as a church to receive Jesus. And when you receive Jesus, get ready for a life of experience all that Jesus is. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, Your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.